Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland, and I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. That's what we want to share in these podcasts our love of horses, and our fascination with training. So, Dominique, at the end of the last podcast, we left people with a bit of a teaser. We had been talking about the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference and the just wonderful presentation that Dr. Julie Vargas had given. She's B.F. Skinner's daughter. And what she did for, for the 10th anniversary of the Art and Science Conference was she gave us a little bit of historical background on Skinner's early discoveries, what brought him to to study behavior in the first place. And she was sharing with us the evolution of his thinking. And she went through some of the equipment that he used in the early experiments that he did. In fact, one of the things that she shared with us was his very first lab animal. It wasn't pigeons. It wasn't rats. Do you have any idea? Hmm. No. What was it? It was ants, which was oh, kind of fun. <laughs> yes, that was different. Not what I um, had expected. But in any event, she was describing the different stages, the different evolution of the equipment that he was using. And she also had gone through and looked at all of the records that he kept. So Harvard has in their archives, they have all the scrolls from the that he recorded. So as the rats were going through a particular trial, the results of each trial were recorded on roll of paper that just scribed through. And she went back and was studying all of those roles. And she described to us how he, at one point, he had a rat in his experimental chamber and the experiment was going really nicely. So he left the room and the equipment jammed. So while he was away, this rat that was accustomed to getting reinforced was not getting anything because the equipment was jammed. A big extinction burst was going on in that lab. Exactly. And what might have happened when he got back is he might have seen that the equipment had jammed and just taken that scroll, that piece of paper than which all that data had been inscribed and thrown it in the waste paper basket because, well, the equipment had jammed. But instead, he looked at it and saw this, what he described as a perfect curve. He saw an extinction curve. She described how he spent the whole weekend being very careful how he crossed streets because he didn't want to be in an accident and be hit by a car and killed before he had a chance to record this amazing data, this amazing discovery that he had made. And what he was also talking about was that when you, the, the description was, fortune favors the prepared mind. He could have just thrown that scroll of paper out and not been aware of 
the extinction curve at all, but he didn't. And I was thinking the same thing happens so often in our own lives. And one of the examples of that occurred when I went down to the University of North Texas to record the Poison Q lecture with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. And I was sitting in his office and we were just chatting while we were waiting for the graduate students who were going to help us with this project while we were waiting for them to, to get to the office. Jesus was chatting about, oh, you know, what I, what I recognize in your training and what I really like in, in the way that, that you and Kay Lawrence and, and Ken Ramirez train and, and other good trainers is that you train in loops. And I had no idea what he meant. And I could easily have just gone, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to smile sweetly and, and let him keep talking and have completely missed the moment. We do that a lot. Sometimes we're, we're, we don't know when we're in a subject, we don't necessarily know how to frame a question or we're too embarrassed to, to acknowledge that we have a question whatever it is, and we let things slide. And in this case, I didn't. I said, what do you mean? And that opened the door, that one little sentence, what do you mean? And where Jesus then showed me some examples of what he means by loopy training that really, for me, helped to coalesce this whole structure of training, the 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 style of training, the pattern of training, the training strategy that I use and have used for years. And it's made it much more deliberate when you start recognizing that, yes, we do train in loops. And I know that you've been re-watching the Loopy Training DVD. Yes. <laughs> so, and you've been taking notes. And so I'm really uh -huh. interested. This is all sort of long, rambling opening to this, but I'm I'm really interested to hear what has struck your fancy and what you're taking away from this review of the Loopy training. Well, this this is a DVD you did in 1211, I think. It's a three-disc DVD. And I was just telling you it's too bad that DVDs are going out of fashion because this material is outstanding. And it's really worth having a player to not lose all this material. So yeah, I decided that I wanted to review this, this DVD and it's so good. I used to say that no horse person should not have watched the Poison Q DVD. And I still stand by that. Everyone absolutely who has a horse needs to watch this DVD. Not to interrupt, but that's and, and, and we're not meaning really to sound like a, uh, an advertisement for the DVDs. It's just, this is where the material sits. But when I first saw Jesus present on the Poison Q uh, lecture, I, my ears just really perked forward because what he was describing seems so familiar. So many of the horses that I encounter are very much products of poison cue background well the majority the big majority yeah because there's been too much too much lumping too much correction and i'm going to correct you horse and then i'll give you a pet when you're right 
gets you straight into poison cue territory. And then it's not just our horses. You start recognizing that in people, in, in ourselves, when you're in that poison cue mode or when you're in that lovely, what we refer to as the then happy, very enthusiastic state, or whether you're in the, the depressed, suppressed. Can you, can you explain it? Because I'm sure some people are listening. They have no idea what we're talking about. Because this, this DVD, this was also, for me anyway, it explained so much. When I saw the, the Poison Cue DVD was like the big eye opener, which clarified a lot for me. So the Poison Cue, it, it, that's a term that Karen Pryor coined. So she commented on, in the laboratories of the experimental scientists, they can easily study pure positive reinforcement. The rat does something you like, and it presses a lever, it gets a treat. Presses the lever, gets a treat. You can study pure positive reinforcement. You can also study pure negative reinforcement. So you can study pure positive reinforcement, you can study pure negative reinforcement. But Karen said, you know, that's not the real world. That's not how the real world operates. The real world operates with mixed consequences. So what happens when you have positive reinforcement? What happens when good things are happening mixed with not such good things happening? And so Jesus with one of his graduate students, Nicole Murray, designed an experiment to look at that question. So, Jesus Rosales Ruiz is professor at uh, North Texas University, if anyone doesn't know who he is. He's the head of the Department of Behavioral Analysis. And he does all these fascinating researches with his students that we are all benefiting from. Yes. So he became very fascinated by what we were doing in the clicker training community and started looking at, well, how do I, how do we test these ideas in experimental studies? And so in the poison cue experiment, they set up two conditions. So they had a room that was marked off, the floor was marked off in a grid. So it was like standing on top of graph paper. It's like you, so the floor was all blocked off in grids. And in the first condition, the then condition, the dog was taught a cue to come and the cue was the word then. So anytime the dog was more than two squares away from the handler, the handler would say then, and if the dog oriented to her, she would click and reinforce him. And over a period of number of trials, this dog got very, very good at coming to the handler. So now anytime the dog was more than two squares away, she would say then and the dog would immediately come over to her. So that was the first condition. In the second condition, anytime the dog was more than two squares away, she would say punir. So that was the cue also to come. So punir means come, then means come. But in the punir condition, the dog was wearing a harness. And if the dog did not come promptly, she would pull the dog over to her. Now, pulling a dog is something 
people do all the time. I see it when I watch the people in my neighborhood taking their dogs out for walks. I'll see them dragging a dog away from another dog. When yeah. when I'm out walking with Anne and Panda, we'll always see some poor dog that's being dragged by the, the neck or by the harness away from whatever it is that the person doesn't want. And this this is not even in this, in the video, it's not even like a, a harsh correction. It's a pull. It's just a pull. Yes. And when you see the dog's response, the body language, it's clear that this dog is not neutral about being pulled. This right. dog does not like being pulled. So just as reinforcement has to be seen from the perspective of the individual receiving the the goodie. If your horse spits out peppermints, they're not reinforcing. So corrections have to be seen from the point of view of the individual as well. And I mean, this dog might have cared less about being dragged, but it didn't. It was clear that being dragged was really unpleasant for this dog. So when she said punir, if the dog came over promptly, it would get clicked and reinforced. If it didn't start to respond promptly enough, she dragged it over in front of her. And then when the dog was standing in front of her, she would click and reinforce. So at the point where midway through the experiment, what they had is a dog that if you said then, under the then conditions, the dog came promptly, click and treat. Under the punir conditions, if you said punir, the dog came promptly. And in that, that case, you might almost guess that punir was the stronger, more powerful, more useful cue because the dog was avoiding something unpleasant, being dragged, and it was getting something good, a click and a treat. So the question became, can you shape behavior with a cue? And this is, this is one of those really powerful understandings of how cues work. When you really get this, you get one of the major keys to the kingdom of clicker training. Absolutely. So what this means is they're going to see if they can shape a behavior based on when they present the cue then or the cue punier. So now picture this. You've got this room that's marked off in a grid, and to the left of the dog, the edge of the, the grid, there's a square that's got an X in it. And any time this dog lands on that square that's marked with an X, what we'd like is to see that dog land there more often. Now you could get that by having any time the dog landed on the square, you could click and treat. And it would make sense that over a very short period of time, we would see that the dog was going more frequently over to that square. But that's not what they did. Instead, any time that dog landed in that square, the handler would say then. Now at this point in the experiment, any time the handler said then, the dog would come promptly. So it, she, it, the dog would hear the word then, it came promptly over to the handler, 
It got clicked and reinforced. And now the question is, what does the dog do next? And what the dog did next was it went right back to the square. And what you see in this video clip is a beautiful clean loop. So the dog goes to the square, the handler says Finn, the dog comes back over in front of the handler, gets clicked and reinforced, and then it makes a beeline right back to that square. And it is really fun to watch. And it's yeah. the, the, the only thing you could say is, well, maybe it's not so super clean because you get a little happy dance periodically. And the tail is wagging, the head is up, the, it's alert. It's He looks like a smart, happy little dog. Yes, yes. And there's no wandering off. There's no slow, well, let me, well, maybe I'll go. It's, there's a lot of energy in this. It's a great little video clip. And it is one of the best video clips for really seeing that, oh, yes, you can shape behavior with cues, which is, of course, we can shape behaviors with cues because the click is a cue and we know we can shape behavior by clicking and then reinforcing. And so yes, when we time that click, we get more of the behavior that we were just seeing in the moment that we clicked. And the click is a cue. So we can shape with cues. And now we can go back another step and shape with a cue, the cue Venn in this case, the dog comes, we click, we reinforce, and the dog goes back to the square. Okay, so that's the Venn condition. Let's go look at the Punir condition. What happens when the dog is under that set of conditions where now when it lands, so we're, we're, we're going to change the square to the right side of the room. So it's the same behavior, it's just on the other side of the room. And when the dog is now wandering around, it lands in the square that's marked with an X on the right side of the room, the handler says Punir. The dog at this stage is going to go promptly to the handler when it hears Punir. It gets clicked, gets reinforced. And now the question is, what does the dog do? And the answer is, the dog wanders around the room. He doesn't go right back to the square. He meanders a little bit over here, over there, and then goes to the square. She says, Punir. He goes back to the handler, and then he gets clicked, he gets reinforced, and then he hesitates. He lingers by the handler. He stays there longer than he did under the Venn conditions. And he wanders again, and he goes over to the square, but not that directly. And the energy is completely different. You almost think, oh, this dog must be sick because his head is down, his tail is drooping, there's no energy. He keeps glancing back with these pathetic little poodle eyes back to his handler. He doesn't even look like the same dog. But every time he lands in the square, she says, Punir, he goes over, he gets clicked and reinforced. And then at one point in this trial, he didn't respond promptly enough. And so she dragged him back to her. And this was the last time in the entire experiment that this dog was ever given 
the correction of being dragged back to her. And it's it's really hard to watch because it's clearly so aversive to this dog to be pulled over in front of the handler. And again, I want to emphasize this is this is something we see all the time the handlers are doing without giving any thought to it. So she's not doing, it's not like she's got an electric shock collar on and she's zapping this dog with major shock. He's in a harness. So it's aversive, but it's it's not a horrific out of the ordinary correction that they're using. So she drags him over, she clicks, she reinforces him. And then the dog completely just, she, he wanders off behind her. He tries to leave the room. He's, he's just, the behavior is just not there of going to the square. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, there are times when I see horses, horses that come to clinics, whatever, where they absolutely, this is a punier animal. And, and other times you could be doing something, same animal, but you could be doing something else, maybe some targeting that was, has a completely clean slate for that animal. There's no training history at all that would involve corrections. And you have this incredible enthusiasm and brightness, and then you clip a lead on where that lead does have a history behind it of being used with strong corrections and your animal just goes flat. So the other piece of the poison cue that was so interesting and that really fascinated Jesus when they first looked at the data was how long lasting the punier condition was. And they the study went on past this these two video clips that I'm describing. It went on much longer and, and they did reversals, they took the harness off, they put the harness on the Venn condition, they tested a lot of the what-ifs that people would be asking. But what they found was the suppressed behavior continued on well after the last correction. And that was the real surprise at that time and also the really important learning it matters. It matters how you teach things. So further on in the study, they, they were no longer using any corrections. And they had the dog go out and target a waste paper basket under one condition and a briefcase on, on the other. And so the dog wandered around the room. And when he sniffed the waste paper basket, the handler would say then, and the dog would come straight back, get clicked and reinforced, and then would go right back to the waste paper basket. Again, you see the clean loop. But when it was, the dog went out and sniffed the briefcase, and the handler said, punir, the dog would go back, get clicked and reinforced, but then wander around the room. Now, there are no corrections. It's just the same cue. It's just, so the cue was poisoned. Yeah. Not the, and they did reversal. So it was, if you said then, when it went out to the briefcase, you got a lovely, happy, clean loop. If you said punir in a particular trial, when it went out to the waste paper basket, you got the punir effect. 
So, so it wasn't, it wasn't the behavior, it wasn't the object, it was the cue. It was the cue. And if all you looked at was that particular trial, if you had come into Jesus's office and you were looking over his shoulder and you were looking at the punir condition of the dog going out to touch the waste paper basket, the handler says punir, the dog goes back to the handler, gets clicked and reinforced, what you would think you were looking at is clicker training. Because you're seeing the click, you're seeing the treat being given. You're not seeing any corrections. There were no corrections given at this stage in the experiment. So you would think, oh, I'm looking at clicker training. But there's something wrong. Well, some people would say the dog's not smart. Or the dog is not feeling well or what, whatever the it is. But... What it says to us is we have to know the history of how something was taught. Mm -hmm. And this is why I keep, when people talk about the rope handling, and they say, oh, my, my horse is really light. I just wiggle my finger and the horse backs up 20 feet. Well, I want to look at how was that behavior taught? Was it taught, is the horse backing up because he knows that there's an embedded threat? Is he backing up with Venn enthusiasm or Punir? I'm just getting it done so I avoid a correction. And when you look at clicker training, if you think in the early stages that, well, if my animal throws some behaviors that I don't like into the mix, well, I of course am going to correct those. That's referred to being a balanced trainer, that you're going to use all four quadrants, that it's okay to use corrections. It's okay to use punishment and you'll also use positive reinforcement. And what Jesus was looking at in this is, oh, be careful because when you start doing that, you get these side effects and they're very long lasting. Now, why are they long lasting? Because you never know which consequence is going to be the one that you get. It's the lady or the tiger. Is something good going to happen when you hear punir or is something bad going to happen. And the best example of that to really help people to understand that is suppose you get an email in the middle of the day from your supervisor and the email says, before you leave today, please come see me in my office. There are no little smiley faces, no emoticons, just that sentence your stomach is going to churn all day long because you don't know if when you go to the office, you're going to be told, you're doing just a great job. I had the best review from one of our customers and I'm giving you a raise. Or, you know, we had somebody who was really complaining about the way you talked to them the other day and I'm going to have to dock your pay this week. You have no, no way of knowing which one is going to be what you encounter. But if the possibility is there, if one time when you went into the office, your supervisor was saying, well, there was this that, that needs to be better and this that needs to be better and you didn't do this and you didn't do that, then every time after that, the worry is there. So we live in a poison cue world. You think about what school was like. You get a paperback 
and you think you've written, oh, a great essay, a great story, whatever it is, and they're all there's all that red ink on the story, all those things that you did wrong, and maybe some nice comments too about the things you did right, but the red ink negates the good feelings. Mm. And to to see it because it's so this video, it's so it talks so much, you know, you can see it's the same animal, the same behavior. And my God, it looks completely different. So it's not, and it, and you see it in, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you can see it in just a few minutes. So it's, it's great, great lesson. I remember when I saw this, it was like, wow, this is powerful. And in, there were so many lessons in me in there. Of course, the long lasting effect it's kind of scary in a way because after that you don't want to mess up anymore you know you have to be really careful and i think for a while after that i didn't want to use a lead but we will talk about that after in the because the loopy training what's great about the loopy training is kind of the antidote for the poison cue because you wonder what well, once a cue is poisoned, what do you do? You know, what, what am I going to do now? So I'm sure we'll be talking about that. But the other thing for me when I looked at this was, you know, we, we hear a lot that we should not label our animals. He's like this, he's like that. Oh, well, how come he's not doing it today? He already knows this behavior and he's just being lazy or, I mean, we hear all kinds of labels like this and when you look at this, you think, oof, this gives a lot of, of perspective and I think it steers you away from putting labels on the animal and makes you think about how has it been thought? Is this cue poisoned? And of course, the other thing that is quite powerful, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, and this is certainly something I wish I had known when I started clicker training, is that when they are positively taught, cues are reinforcers. So you have to be very aware of when you are giving a cue because if you are cueing a positively taught animal, you are reinforcing whatever's happening at this moment. And I didn't know that when I started clicker training and I made a lot of mistakes cueing animal, especially canel because she was, as you know, I've explained this in previous podcasts, she was running into the horse's paddock. And so, of course, what do I do? The automatic thing is to call her back when she's in the paddock. But it became really clear for me at a certain point that she was going there and looking at me, waiting for me to cue her back. It became really, really, really clear. Took It took me some months to see it, so I had reinforced heavily going into the paddocks by cueing her back and giving her a treat when she came back. But I finally, I must, I don't know, maybe it was after I watched the Poison Cue DVD, I don't remember. But after that, I was really, really careful when I would cue the animal so that I wouldn't reinforce unwanted behavior. So there, there were so many lessons for me in that uh, DVD. And I've always thought that no horse person should touch a horse before watching this DVD. No one who has responsibility for an animal uh, should be unaware of this. No no parent, no co-worker, no supervisor. I mean, we sh 
it's it's just something we should really wrap our minds around because the poison cue effect is very real and that's why when i heard the lecture and i actually had to um i i, I listened to it several times it was even though i had had heard it in a previous expo I was like, i must go listen to jesus again because there was so much there that i needed to wrap my mind around and that's why i wanted to do the dvd with him because i didn't want that lecture to just disappear jesus would be going on and giving other presentations on other subjects but i i didn't want the concept of poison cues to sort of melt away because we were looking at at other things and and i always had the converse i had the conversation with jesus about if we were using a lead rope with a horse we would never be dragging the horse we wouldn't get the poison cue effect because we would be breaking it down much more into ah i took the slack out you just you just oriented to me slightly click and treat we would be making these really tiny tiny loops rather than the one great big drag the dog over so for me it was never a question when i looked at that of well let's let's look at positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement it wasn't that for me when i looked at what they did it was that lumping doesn't mix with positive reinforcement when you're using the taking the slack out of the lead and just dragging that's where the problem occurs it's not that you are taking the slack out of the lead and waiting and then the dog just may even flick an ear in your direction and you click and you reinforce that and you build from that very very tiny kernel of a response which brings us beautifully to loopy training and it also brings us beautifully to a good stopping point for now so we'll pause briefly here but everyone should know that we haven't really paused. Dominique and I are just going to keep talking. We'll give a pause here, and then we're going to pick up right away again. A better understanding of training principles and concepts, such as the poison cues and loopy training, help us become better trainers and allow us to train our horses ourselves, which is something many of us never dreamed they could do one day. Absolutely. And if you want to dig even deeper and ask your own questions about these concepts, please join us at our upcoming webinar. It's on June 30th at 1.30 Eastern Time. Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz is going to be our guest. What a great opportunity that's going to be to delve even deeper into the many questions these concepts generate. I hope you'll join us. To reserve your spot, please visit the webinar page on our website, equiosity.com, and click the register button. Once you register, we will send you an email with the payment and logistic details. In the meantime, have fun shaping new behaviors using unpoisoned cues. Like Alex said in the podcast today, when you understand this principle, you get one of the major keys to the kingdom.